see all of you again. And as Todd said, my name's Michael Robel. I'm from Grace Community Church up in Westminster and so grateful to be here with you uh, again today. We're, we're going to open this morning from the book of Acts. And I'm going to be looking at Acts 7, starting at verse 51. And we're going to try to go through verse uh, chapter 8, verse 2. And our church up in Westminster is going through a series uh, through the book of Acts, which we've called Unstoppable, which just really kind of frames the reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation, is truly unstoppable. And as I prayed about which message to bring of the ones I've had the privilege to preach in Westminster particularly in light of world events, and particularly, too, in light kind of, of not really knowing what we're all facing personally. But it was just on my heart to hopefully, through this text, encourage us and give us fresh, biblically gospel-centered hope going through times of hardship and even tragedy. Because what we're going to be looking at this morning is this passage, which to me... Uh, Luke narrates to us, which is, in my opinion, maybe the greatest tragedy in Scripture, apart from the crucifixion of Jesus, which is the martyrdom of Stephen. So we're going to dig into a kind of heavy passage, but the beauty of it all is it's rich in gospel hope. And so my prayer is that as we open this text, we will walk away this morning encouraged no matter what may come our way. So if you could pray with me, and then I'm going to read a quote, and then we're going to get into the text. So Father, I thank you for your holy word. God, thank you. Your word is truth, and it's inspired by God. So Father, I depend on you now to help me communicate your truths to these brothers and sisters that have gathered this morning. Lord, build your church. Lord, for those this morning who need a fresh reminder as they deal with hardship or even tragedy, Lord, use this text to remind them that you reign and rule over all. So Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity for all of us to dig into your word and bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, D.A. Carson wrote a book a number of years ago called How Long, O Lord? And in that book, he said this. He said, one of the major causes of devastating grief and confusion among Christians is that our expectations are false. We do not give the subject of evil and suffering the thought it deserves until we ourselves are confronted with tragedy. If by that point, he says, our beliefs, not well thought out, but deeply ingrained, are largely out of step with the God who has disclosed himself in the Bible and supremely in Jesus, then the pain from the personal tragedy may be multiplied many times over 
as we begin to question the very foundations of our faith. So this morning, as we look, as I mentioned, into one of the greatest tragedies of Scripture, the brutal murder of Stephen, my prayer and my heart's desire, and I believe the Lord wants to encourage us this morning that kind of modifying the words of Dr. Carson that we will give the subject of evil and suffering the thought it deserves. Because even in, tr in the tragedy and pain that we're about to see, we will also see above it all the great faithfulness and love and presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we're going to see this morning, no pain, no suffering is ever wasted in the life of a believer or in the life of the church. Truly, Christ faithfully builds his church even through times of great suffering. So, are you ready? I hope so. On this daylight savings time morning. Hello, right? Yeah, when I woke up this morning too, I'm like, well, it's still dark out. What's up with that, you know? But we're about now to step back into or step into this high stakes courtroom drama involving the Jewish religious leaders and a passionate, spirit-filled Christian named Stephen. So I know it's early, and we may be a little sleepy, but get ready because we're going to step into a scene where the intensity is going to keep ramping up. And it's, a, it's a scene which gets to the point where Stephen, who Luke describes in Acts, as a man whose face was like the face of an angel, it gets to the point, as we'll see, where he is unjustly killed and his name is forever etched in church history as the first martyr of the early church. But as I mentioned, what we're also going to see is ruling over it all, and this is so true in our own lives as well, is ruling over it all is the risen Christ. And so my prayer, as I mentioned at the beginning, is we're going to walk away this morning, by God's mercy and grace, encouraged, no matter what we're facing. So I'm going to go ahead and read, and please read along with me, Acts 7, starting at verse 51. Now, Stephen is concluding this long sermon. I'll get to the context in a moment. But this is how he wraps up his sermon, which, by the way, is not going to be the way I'm planning to wrap up my sermon this morning. So Stephen, speaking to the religious leaders, he says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. He said, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now notice their response. 
Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a vision. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Now, because we're kind of diving in here to the book of Acts, just to set the context, the religious leaders, the same ones, by the way, who had made their case against Jesus before Pilate and had been, shall we say, successful in having Jesus crucified, they're accusing Stephen or have accused Stephen of, of speaking evil against the temple, of speaking evil against the law and of Moses. And he goes through, which is really the longest recorded sermon in the whole Bible. And he unpacks, masterfully unpacks Old Testament history, getting to the point of this pinnacle conclusion. He's basically proven scripturally from, or to these religious leaders that this very Christ who I am standing for and preaching has been spoken of throughout all of Jewish history. In fact, as he references Moses, he says even Moses, he says this a few verses earlier, Moses even spoke of this prophet. He said, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. And what he's driven home in these verses just preceding our text today is to them that Jesus is the one that they should have been expecting and looking for. Jesus is the one whom they executed and whose followers they have repeatedly sought to silence. And basically what he's driven home to them is Jesus is the one you should have been able to determine is in fact the Christ. And so then he concludes it with this indictment, which we'll get to here in a moment. So I've titled today's message, it's got twofold, kind of a twofold title. You need a Savior, and you have a Savior. And I would sum up, summarize the text this way. Christ faithfully builds his church even through times of great suffering. So there's two points that kind of fall right out of this text. One is the bad news, shall I say. 
Stephen's indictment. And then maybe the second one is almost worse news, but we're going to see good news, Stephen's death. Now, let's just unpack a bit this closing few sentences of a sermon. And as I said, I'm not closing my sermon today this way. But Stephen again says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who you have now betrayed and murdered. You who have received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. See, Stephen just rattles off to them God's indictment, their guilt. Now notice what he calls them. First he says you're stiff-necked which is probably reminding them, you know what, you're just like the children of Israel were in, in the wilderness. I'm sure they appreciated that, huh? And then he says, you, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. So what does that mean? He's basically saying to them, you are hard-hearted heathen. In other words, they may have confidence in, in being circumcised as the people of God, but they act like lost heathen Gentiles. And then he adds, I mean, if, the, if that hasn't been enough, right? Then he says, you resist the Holy Spirit, which seems to be a reference to Isaiah 63.10, where the Israelites are described as a people who rebelled and grieved against God's Spirit. But like in infomercials, there's more. Because then he says, you committed the sins of your fathers. Reminding them that as God had prophets like Isaiah and others who spoke of the coming, suffering servant, Messiah, Jesus, he's saying, you're, you're just like them, like your fathers who persecuted and killed God's sent ones. And then, to almost add insult to injury, he says, you're lawbreakers. Ouch! Because these guys are experts in the law. They're the Sanhedrin. And he says, in reality, you experts of the law, you're the ones who habitually disobey the law. See, he's driving home to them you guys can't trust in your heritage. You can't trust in your biblical knowledge. No, you can't say you're God's chosen, blessed people because you have a family history with God. On the contrary, religious leaders, you need a Savior. You're lost. Now, I'm going to try to just tie in some application as we go this morning. As I read this indictment, it's so easy for me to say, these guys are, are dense. And to kind of point my finger at them and to say, well, how could you know somebody who studied the law for years, saw the miracles of Jesus, even saw the miracles of the apostles, how can they be so dense? And then what I found as I was studying and preparing is the Lord again graciously reminded me, Michael, 
You're just like them. So here's what it's going to be like. Ow. So I had to ask myself, before I was a Christian and after I was a Christian, have I ever been stiff-necked? Well, not to dash your interpret, you know, <laughs> whatever your personal evaluation is in the first 10 minutes, by the way, on Daylight Savings. Thanks. I'm grateful you're all still awake. That's encouraging. But at least as far as I can tell, have I ever resisted God's grace extended to me? And here, if you remember the Israelites in the wilderness, one of the most evident, shall we say, uh, observations of them that they were stiff-necked is they grumbled and complained. And when I thought about this, I'm like, ow. Have I ever grumbled and complained? Have we ever grumbled and complained? Of course have we ever acted like we're uncircumcised in heart and ears? I think of the many times, even as a Christian, that I was drawn to acting like the world, doing my own thing, even to the point of not really wanting to hear what God had to think about it right now. Been there. How about resisting the Holy Spirit? Have we ever had seasons of resisting, even rebelling against what the Lord has shown us? resisted what he desired to lead us into and teach us. And the more I think about these, it's like, ow, ooch, ow. And then ultimately, I think as Christians, we need to remember that when Christ died for us, the scriptures tell us while we are still enemies, Jesus died for us. So ultimately, we also, our sins sent him to the cross. We are responsible for his death. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, we all carry about in our pockets his very nails. And Jerry Bridges said this, our situation was so desperate that only the death of his son on a cruel and shameful cross was sufficient to resolve the problem. Now, I'm not going to dwell on our sin this morning. You're going to say like, Michael, you know, head back north, buddy. No, but the thing is this. I think it's important that we remind ourselves that we all needed a Savior just like these religious leaders. Because when we remind our souls of this, and then we get to reminding our souls of the glorious gospel of Jesus. We will be freshly amazed by grace. Now, Todd didn't mention this, and I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm a retired high school teacher. I won't say what subject, because then you're going to get even more sedated. Some of you know. Maybe I should. Okay. It was math. <laughs> yeah, now we're all unconscious. But I'm going to give all of you wonderful folks here this morning some homework. You're saying, I hope it's not Algebra 1. I, no. Here's the homework. And don't worry, I'm not coming back next Sunday to you know, have you turn in your papers. But I want to remind us, in light of what I've just laid out, about the fact that we have resisted His Holy Spirit, that we have acted like we're uncircumcised in heart, 
that we, our sins, we have the very nails in our pockets. We sent him there. The homework I want to give you this week is remind yourself daily, if not even multiple times, remind yourself of the gospel. Some men and women put it this way. They say, preach the gospel to yourself. Because you know what I found as I was preparing this message and even have found over the many years I've been a Christian is sometimes if you just pause and remember, before Jesus intersected my life, I was dead in sin. I was lost. I was a God-hater. And then you look at what Christ has done for you, and you think, God, when I was still a sinner, you went to that bloody cross for me? And as you dwell on that, and as you meditate on that, and as you think about that, by God's grace, what you find, at least if you're like me in any way, is I find myself like falling on my face saying, God, why? It's like pinching myself. God, I'm so undeserving, but thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you I have a future with you because I didn't deserve it. So preaching the gospel to yourself is a good homework assignment. Much better than trigonometry, trust me. Okay, But it, it encourages your soul to be reminded. And my prayer is it will bring renewed joy and gratefulness in our walk with Christ. Now, one other application point, and I love this, I guess it's not an acronym, acronym but worship, grow, and go, is I think another application out of this text is as we have opportunities to make friendships with unbelievers, whether it's at work, in our neighborhoods, what have you, we want to be reminded that they need to hear the bad news as well as the good news. Now, I'm going to use Todd's name in this illustration because I think it'll be more fun. But, but as you're sharing the truth of God with your neighbors, family members, friends, they need to hear their loss. But say, for example, if, if just hypothetically, you know, Todd and I were having dinner and, and I didn't believe he was a believer, I wouldn't recommend over dinner saying, hey, Todd, can you pass the broccoli, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart sinner? I mean, I would not recommend that approach, right? Because we're realizing Stephen's speaking to religious leaders who are false teachers, right? But we do need to realize that to share the gospel with lost people, which I pray all of us are growing in, and it's on our radar, in our neighborhoods, and so on, they need to understand they're lost. And there's a propensity in our culture because we don't want to offend anyone to make our gospel presentation something like this, to say, you know, friend, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Wouldn't you like to hear about Jesus? That's not really a biblical presentation of the gospel. Or to say something like, Jesus came to give life meaning and free you from guilt. Now, there's some truth to these things. Or maybe another approach, some people I've even used in the past, Jesus came to restore your relationship with God. Now, that's true. But what we see time and time again, particularly in the book of Acts, book of Romans, and other places in Scripture, 
is people have to know they are lost and facing the judgment of God. So we must present the bad news of being lost. Otherwise, what are people being saved from? We don't want people to come to Jesus because they want a fulfilling life. We want them to come to Jesus because without Jesus, I'm going to die and face his eternal judgment in a place called hell. Now, we need to pray, and we need to seek God, and we need to share the bad news with compassion and love. And it's scary because as we're going to see in a moment here, some people are going to not be happy that we've shared that information with them. And just recently, Catherine and I have built, a, my wife's Catherine, by the way, Catherine and I have built a relationship with this young couple. They have a one-year-old son in our neighborhood. And we have grown to love them. And their son is, he's a piece of work, man. He is so cute and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and recently, we're, you know, we've had them over for dinner. And, and recently they said, hey, would you guys like to come over to have dinner with us? And I'm like, why would this young couple want to hang out with two old people? But they did. And Catherine and I just found ourselves crying out to God for this couple. Lord, please help us to be ready to give an answer. Help us, Lord. And yet there's this fear. I'm just being totally, brutally transparent. We want this couple to love us. We don't want them to say, what? You, are you saying I'm lost? Are you saying the God of love would judge me? And so, you know, the dinner was coming up and Catherine and I are praying about it. And by his mercy and grace, the Lord just opens this opportunity. And honestly, it's with fear and trembling. Do you realize what the gospel means? You're lost. Your sin has separated you from God. And what came out of this encounter, I don't want to take too much more time, is, is the husband, he looks at me and he says, I was raised a Christian, but my relationship with God is broken. And I don't know what to do. And so we just talked some more and we dropped off a book to them yesterday to read. And I don't know what God's doing, but I know one thing God's doing in my heart. He's saying, Michael, you must preach the bad news to give them the good news. And there was a real temptation to say, you know what? Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. So I'm just being transparent with all of you this morning. God's helping me too to not be afraid because there is fear there to share the whole news. So Greg Gilbert said this. He said, the gospel of Jesus Christ is full of stumbling stones. And this is one of the largest, which you'll see, sharing the bad news of our sin. To human hearts that stubbornly think of themselves as basically good and self-sufficient, this idea that human beings are fundamentally sinful and rebellious is not merely scandalous, it's revolting. This is why it's so absolutely critical that we understand both the nature and depth of our sin. If we approach the gospel thinking that sin is something else or something less than what it really is, we will, be, we will badly misunderstand 
the good news of Jesus Christ. So God forbid, may God help us as we approach the gospel that we won't be thinking or communicating that sin is something else or something less than it really is. So let's be praying for boldness and let's, with God's help, make sure people don't misunderstand the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's go now to point two. And these points are so, at first glance, so depressing, aren't they? Stephen's indictment followed by Stephen's death. You're like, wow, I'm really glad I got up this morning. But this, this is so rich and this is what is so so exciting about the Word of God that even in texts like this with tragedy and death and so on, we see such rich gospel hope. Now, I'm going to break down Stephen's death two ways. We're first going to focus on the events, and I don't want to take a lot of time with that. They're graphic and they're brutal, but I think it's important that at least we dig into it a little bit with some application And then what I've decided to do is kind of highlight the people involved with Stephen's death. And out of each of those, hopefully, give you some gospel encouragement as we look at the people involved and what we can learn from them. So let's start with the events. Stephen wraps up this sermon, and what we see is these people, yes, they are rejecting Jesus. So notice what happens. He finishes, and it says they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, meaning they were so angry that they literally were like growling at him. They were furious. And then after Stephen gets this heavenly vision, it says they cried out with a loud voice, They stopped their ears, so they probably put their hands over their ears, and then they rushed together to grab him, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. Not exactly a self-controlled response, was it? One commentary puts it this way, Stephen is transferred from the hall in which the Sanhedrin held its meeting to a place outside the city and he was probably hauled out by the temple police. Executions by stoning were carried out outside the city. Stephen probably or could have been taken across the upper city, past Herod's palace, through a gate in the western city wall, perhaps to the site where executions took place, perhaps to the very location of Jesus' crucifixion. So, They violently grab him. They have their stopping their ears. They're like growling. They haul him out. And then it says the participants lay down their garments at the feet of a man named Saul. Now, why did they lay down their garments? Well, history tells us that when people were stoned, first of all, they encircled usually the victim or the the person they're going to execute and they needed to free up their ability to throw things hard. So they took their outer garments off so they had more physical liberty to throw the stones or the rocks. Also, and this is a little bit graphic, but often during stonings, blood would be flying, so they didn't want to get the blood on their clothing, so they also left their garments for that reason as well. 
So this was a slow, gruesome form of execution. The rocks start flying. Stephen's being hit over and over again. He buckles, to, he falls to his knees, and then he dies. And so our brother in Christ, a man full of grace and power, is gone. Now, if I stopped here, you'd really say, thanks, thanks a lot. I'm going to go home now and cry. But now let's look at the people involved. And as we do, let's be encouraged in the Lord. So I've already talked about, the first group is the religious leaders. I've already talked about them. But I think one thing that's very evident that we can be encouraged in is the response of these religious leaders affirm to us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. Paul said the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We hopefully are aware or remember Jesus' words where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God's gospel, his son, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, going to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, three days later, rising from the dead. This is the truth of God. So to make an appeal, do you know him? Do you know him? Are you saved this morning? Are you sure? I've had people say to me, even hearing some thoughts like this recently, I'm not buying it. I'll take my chances. Someone even said, I think when I die, I'm going to come back as a butterfly. All due respect, God's word is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if you don't know him, talk to Todd after the service. Talk to me. Would love to introduce you to this wonderful Lord and Savior. The second ap application I think we can glean from here is we can't be surprised if people don't like us because we're Christians. Remember what Paul told Timothy? <clears throat> he said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, remember that word? Will be liked? Will be embraced? No. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. John, writing to Christians, the apostle John said this in 1 John 3, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And I confess, I've been surprised. And maybe this is a reflection of my pride, but I'm like, I think I'm a pretty good neighbor. I think I'm easy to get along with. And then I've had people that say, I don't like you. You know, I don't want to be with you. Why? Aren't I a nice guy? <laughs> and really what's going on is, really what's happening, I think in some contexts, hopefully it's not something I've done that I shouldn't have done to offend them, but they don't like the Christ in me. 
So don't be surprised if the world hates you. So there's a couple applications from the religious leaders. Now, second character in, in the death of Stephen, Saul. Luke introduces us to a young man named Saul, who though it appears didn't throw any rocks at Stephen, he's, he's saying to the, ex, you know, the people executing Stephen, hey boys, hey ladies, come on over and lay your garments at my feet. I'll, I'll guard them for you and take care of business. And then Luke later says they approved, he approved of, of Stephen's execution. Now, I think Luke mentions him here because by the time he finished writing the book of Acts, everybody knew who Saul was. And it, it's just a beautiful reminder that probably public enemy number one of the church, Saul, became the Apostle Paul. And how the church must have marveled reading this in Acts, realizing just a short time later, Saul would have this encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, here's some encouragement, and this is how personally it, it spoke to me as well. What we see here is even the vilest of people are not beyond God's ability to save. You ever given up on someone? I have, yeah. You say, Lord, I've been praying for this guy for years. And they seem harder than ever. But let me remind all of us this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ is un stoppable. And seeing Saul's name mentioned here should give us fresh hope that God is able and does save even the vilest of sinners like us, right? So keep praying for these people. Keep asking the Lord for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Now, third character in this account is, of course, Stephen. This man, again, who was chosen to help care for the Hellenistic Jews, uh, Hellenic, Hellenistic widows, that is. He's full of faith. He's full of the Holy Spirit and all this. And, of course, we see what ends up happening to him. So how can we be encouraged through Stephen's life and death? Well, I think, like Paul said of himself, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's be imitators of Stephen. And I would say, let's focus not on how he died, but on how he lived. See, he models her. I'm going to read this, what Jesus said in Luke 9. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So let's be encouraged from Stephen's example to live like he did, to look to Jesus, to say, Lord, how do you want to use me today? And to submit and give our lives fully to God's purpose on the earth. We're almost there. How are we doing again on Daylight Savings Time morning? All right? It's great. <laughs> I won't say, should I say it three more times, especially as we get to the end? Almost there. Now, two other categories of people here. 
Next, we see the church at Jerusalem. And after Stephen's killing, notice what happened to the church. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. It says, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So Stephen is murdered, and now the scriptures tell us a great persecution arose. This is not now harassment. This is no longer just threats. This is much worse. In fact, it's so bad that the believers in Jerusalem have to flee their homes to survive. And so we see that there is this suffering that happens. And in the middle of all this, so it's bad enough now, it's almost like there's blood in the water and all the sharks are now you know, kind of arriving to go after the Christians. And imagine, put yourself in their shoes. Suddenly you're looking at your, your wife, your, your husband, your children, and we've got to get out of town. We got to leave, like right now. And in the middle of it all, there is grief because the beloved brother Stephen is dead. And this passage says that devout men buried him. We don't know if those devout men were brothers in Christ. Maybe they were just devout Jews that knew he had been unjustly killed. But there is great sorrow in the life of the church as well. So the church is deeply impacted by what happened. Now, once again, a point of application here. I think sometimes in church life, we want it to all be, what shall I say, smooth sailing, spiritual high. Yeah, another awesome service, you know, and, and all this. And we need to remember that God allows churches to go through hard times. It's not because of sin, necessarily. There will be times of suffering and loss in a church. But here's the good news. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And out of this tragedy, we are now seeing the fulfillment that Jesus had said in Acts 1.8, that they were to be there be Christ's witnesses not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this tragedy occurs, and now God's people are scattered. And as we see later in Acts, they go proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. So I just want to remind us all this morning, no matter what hardships the Lord may require of us, individually or as a church, our faithful Savior is with us. Do you believe that? Our faithful Savior is with us. He will strengthen us. He will build His church. And He will safely bring us home. Now, I get to the best part. Because I like chocolate. It's like the frosting on the cake. Who's the other person we see in this story? We see Jesus. And this is how I want to end today. 
going back and revisiting the final moments of Stephen's life, God gives him a vision. And the scriptures say, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Imagine this. Just before the stones start flying. And he said, behold, Stephen says this, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Some commentators, usually when we read about Jesus enthroned in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God. And some scholars have said that we see here Stephen getting this vision and Jesus standing. It's almost like the Savior decided to stand up to welcome home this brother who's about to be killed. It's a significant moment. But what assurance this must have given Stephen. Imagine the crowd is going venomous. They're, they're grinding their teeth and all this. And Stephen gazes. He's looking to Jesus as he's done pretty much his whole life as a Christian. And God opens and gives him this vision of heaven. And it's a reminder to Stephen and a reminder to us that our Savior rules. The right hand of God is David's eternal throne. And Jesus, alive and well, is at the right hand of God the Father right now. See, and how we need to just continue to remind our souls of this. Jesus is the one who has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus is the one who promises grace and power for our lives. Jesus is the one worth living and dying for. He is the one, Jesus, who Stephen will soon be with in glory for all of eternity. And Jesus is the one, brothers and sisters, that we will soon be with in glory for all of eternity. So here is Stephen's and our glorious reality. And God, again, may this take deep root in our souls. We not only need a Savior, we have a Savior. We not only need a Savior, we have a Savior. No matter what comes our way, See, Jesus, the one who suffered like none other, who died that horrible death on the cross, but is now raised from the dead at the right hand of God the Father, never to die again, is ever living and is interceding for us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have him as our Lord and Savior. So we have great assurance Great assurance. What are you facing today that's rocking your world? What, figuratively speaking, stones are coming your direction? You can trust God.
we can trust God because our promised Savior is at the right hand of God and He will faithfully strengthen us, sustain us, and in our time to go, will safely take us home. See, even as the stones are battering Stephen's body, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he even prays for his killers, just like Jesus did. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The Lord enabled Stephen to live and die for the glory of God. And he, as we look to him, will do the same for us. The worship team wants to come up. I'm just going to close briefly this way. I'm going to say it one more time. When I used to teach high school, I, to make a point, I would repeat something like 10 times. The students would get really annoyed. I'd say, I'm going to repeat myself, repeat myself, repeat myself. And they're just like, please stop. But I think it deserves being said again. We not only need a Savior, we have a Savior. And our Savior Jesus the righteous one who will faithfully strengthen us, assure us, and he will be with us every moment of our lives. And as I said, when our work on earth is done, and hey, I'm getting closer to the finish line every day, and so are all of us, right? But when our work on this earth is done, he will bring us safely home, like he did for Stephen. So we don't need to be afraid no matter what comes our way. Yes, those who live godly lives will be persecuted. Yes, on this fallen planet, there will be times of suffering. But let's remember, Christ faithfully builds his church even through times of great suffering. And he will continue to build his church until Jesus returns. How do we know this? Because his gospel is unstoppable. Amen? All right, go ahead. Let's stand. What gift?